Hey everyone, happy Father's Day again. We are really glad that you came out to be with us on this special day. It's a great day to be here because for the very first time ever, my father is on the stage with us. And uh, we're extremely proud of him, glad to have him here with us. And I've also decided to bring my brother up, and so it's a whole family <laughs> thing. Hey, my name is Greg. I serve as the executive pastor here. You guys know Ben. He is our lead pastor, and uh, we just want to say thanks for coming out on Father's Day. And it's actually not just Father's Day. It's Father's Day Unleashed, and so you're going to be unleashed today in a way that you're going find, to find out about in just a moment. But before we get into what we want to chat with you about today, I want to take just a moment, if you'll allow me, and say thank you so much. Uh, to everyone for allowing Ben and I to have the last couple weeks off on vacation. We were able to go on a cruise with my mom and my Ooh. dad and our sisters and all the kids and just spend some quality family time together. It's so great to be able to take a break from here and know that God is still at work in this congregation and that volunteers are still showing up and that lives are still being changed. I specifically want to say thank you also to pastors Matt and Nate for the last two weeks' messages. I listened to them online. They are very, very good. Yeah almost as good as me and Ben. And so I just want to say thank you to them. You guys want to show them how proud you yes. are of them for filling in the gap while we're gone? Well, you are in for a special treat today because we want to share with you and have our dad share with you his story. It, it really is just his testimony. It's the story of how God worked in his life to set him free, to break the chains of bondage that he was born into to help him change the cards that he was dealt so that he could leave a legacy far different than what it would be, have been if God wasn't involved in his life. And uh, we're honored to be able to share the story with you. We're excited for you to be able to hear what God has done in his life. And our hope and our dream for you is that you'll leave here challenged, that if maybe there are some chains of bondage in your life that need to be broken, you'll begin taking steps towards being set free. And if maybe things are going pretty well for you, you'll just be encouraged about how God is actively involved in loving us and our lives and helping us see us through. And uh, I know this is true if you're a man sitting in this room here on Father's Day, that you want to live a life of meaning and purpose. You want to get to the end of your life, and when it's all said and done, you want whatever you did with those 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years to have an impact beyond just you. And I'm proud to let you know today that my dad sits here a man of 70 years old, and uh, he's got a legacy uh, and a proud one, and we're going to share that with you. So, Dad, I just want to kind of start at the beginning of, of your story. We won't give every detail because you're 70, and it would take us like 16 hours. Um, <laughs> but I want, I want to just let everyone know kind of how it began. You were born in the hills of West Virginia, yep. the son of a coal miner, yep. and really in, in poverty, Sometimes yeah. uh, mild poverty, if there is such a thing, and, and other times in your life, really extreme poverty. Yes. Yeah, yeah and, and out of that, through a series of events in your life, some, some pretty powerful ones, some very sad ones, uh, God radically transformed your life and set you free. Well, you're going to hear, like Greg said, an amazing testimony. The scripture tells us that we're made overcomers by the word of our testimony. So as we give God glory for what he's done in our lives, it's has a return impact of not only glorifying him, but strengthening us. And you're going to hear a powerful testimony. It may be a little different than your story. It's certainly different than my story. But the same God that is at work in the story you're going to hear today is willing and wanting to be at work in your life in a powerful way. 
as Greg said, in a way that breaks chains and in a way that builds a godly legacy. Here's the truth, men. All of you, single men, married men, fathers, all of us are leaving a legacy. That's not the question, will you leave a legacy? The question is, what kind of legacy will you leave? Will you leave a godly legacy? So dad, if you don't mind, let's uh, take folks back through three or four major watershed events in your life. Um, as I've heard this story growing up as a child, it, it's tragic. It's tragic, the effects that poverty and often what goes with it. There was some chemical addictions yeah. at work in your family. Um, there was generational kinds of activity that just left you guys not only financially bankrupt, but in some ways morally bankrupt, mm -hmm. a leadership vacuum. But take us back to a seminal event. You're about 12 years old. You had been relatively involved in church, but not in the recent history. Right. And something tragic happens in your home that night. I was good. I was fine about all this until Ellen got up here and sang. And that, <laughs> that kind of chokes me up. Uh, Ellen is my daughter and, and his granddaughter, obviously. Uh, yeah, so. and it, it, it's just awesome to see her involved. But uh, I had just turned 12 on October the 3rd, 1953. We had moved from the home that basically I had grew, grown up in at that time. And uh, we moved so far out in the sticks, we didn't even have electricity. There wasn't even electric lights. There was no way to get electricity. I mean, there was no electric pole, poles to put the power lines on. And my dad, years before, had been involved in church. Those were the happiest times of my life up until that point. We had prayer meetings at our home. Uh, people would come. They would read the scripture. They would discuss it. They would sing. And, and everything, it just felt good. Uh, but my dad went through a very difficult time. He had a little injury in the coal mines. And... Uh, it changed my dad. He he become a different person. Uh, he did things that I couldn't imagine my hero doing. But he moved us out. He became very paranoid about things, and he moved us out into the sticks. Our closest neighbor was probably a mile and a half away, and that's what he wanted. He didn't want anybody around. If anybody should show up, he would often take off to the woods and hide himself till they left. So, but, so there there was some just family emotional stuff going on uh, that was extreme. Yes, very, very extreme. But he got, he had, as a young man, he had been a, a drinker. He, he made moonshine, uh, sold moonshine. Even as a kid, he used to deliver moonshine for the moonshiners. And, uh, but he, he, had, he went back to the bottle. He got to drinking again. And that was a mistake because we lived near his brother and his father, and that was, a, was not a good relationship. But one night, home, as he came home from work, he hooked up with his brother and with a cousin. And they evidently, they drank all night and fought. My mom sat up and waited for my dad. And about 2 o'clock, he comes into the house. She hears him at the back door talking with people. He walks in. He doesn't have a shirt on. His face is kind of marked up. And she said, what's going on? And he said, uh, they jumped on me. And she said, well, let me see. And he said, no, where's the gun? I'm sorry. That's okay. While you're in your composure, there's, uh, at this point, there's 11 children yeah. uh, living at home. You are number three. Yeah. You're 12 years old. The baby's five months old. Mm -hmm. And your older brother is 15 or 16? 15. 15 yeah. years Almost old. Almost 15. Yeah. So he takes the gun off the wall and walks out the front door, puts the gun up, yells a profanity, and a shot goes off. But it wasn't him. One of the two individuals that had been with him had brought him home shot. The bullet went in under his arm, into his heart. He fell back into the bed, into the living room and said to my mother, said, they shot me. 
And she said, who shot you? And that was all he ever breathed. That was the last word he ever said. She came and got me and my older brother to go get some help. And as I walked, I knew, I said, I wasn't going to do this. That's all right. That's all I right. walked in the living room and my dad was laying there on the floor. And I told my mom, I said, I'll get even. Whoever done it, I'll get even. She told us we needed to go get help. As we left the house, the shooter shot. We, didn't, we thought they were shooting at us. Later they said they weren't. But anyway, it was enough to scare us to know that if we continued on down toward the railroad track to go get help, we, I feared for my life. But my mom yelled at them and told them to please let these boys go get some help. And we left, went about a mile and a half to our neighbor's house and pleaded and begged with him to go get help. Our life changed. There was mom now, roughly 35 years old, with 11 children, ranging from 17 years of age down to five months. We moved back to the house that I grew up in, and everything just went to pot. Uh, we had no money, and there was no kind of bank account. Mom got a small Social Security check that would supposedly feed and clothe her and the family. What well, we found that that check ran out before the end of the month ran out. So she started to build up a, a, a charge account and ended up spending, oh, by the, before the month was out, the, the money was gone. And we went farther and farther into debt. We had our electricity turned off at that house. Uh, everything just kind of fell down around us. Uh, there were, we began a place, our home began to be a place for men to hang out. Men, some I knew, some I didn't know. My mom worked a few jobs, mostly in beer joints. And my mom and my oldest sister become very promiscuous. Permission. Yeah, you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Sexually active. Yeah, exactly. There you go. I, I was trying to be <laughs> discreet. Okay. Discreet. Yeah. Four corners, you can but say it. Anyway, uh, there was a constant flow of men in our house, all hours of the night, day and night. It, I mean, it didn't matter. And I become angry. I, I carried a chip around on my shoulder, and I've run men off from our house. I would get the gun off of the wall and load it and say, you know, you got to leave. You just simply got to leave. And, uh, the, the picture you're painting, Dad, is, um, is extreme. It's the kind of thing you might see on like a made-for-TV movie where you think, oh, that's just dramatized. But this was, this was real in your real life. life. Yeah. And, and just so you know, when, when, when Greg and I um, stand and Nate and, and Matt stand on the stage and we preach and we talk to you about sin and we encourage people to make a choice to follow God and avoid sin, it's not because any of us have a desire to rob anyone of joy or experiencing all that life has to offer. It's because the scriptures teach that the wages of sin is death. Ultimately, that means eternal life away from God in a place far different than heaven. But the wages of sin on this earth bring bondage and death and decay. They rob, steal, kill, destroy. And what Dad's describing now is the impact of that sin, generational, uh, of extreme sin, and its impact at work in the lives of kids. Uh, absent of a father, absent of any real hint of godliness in your life. You have a few vague memories. So I'm assuming, and I, I, I know the story that, like I know with a lot of folks, when those kinds of conditions, when there's impacted sin, people are in chains of bondage by their own choice, by their culture, by their environment, by what people do to them. It leaves, you, you use the words, anger, bitter, um, to say unforgiveness would be light, right? I mean, that would be yeah. the, the simplest, but life... Walk us through how those kinds of things had an impact on your adult life. At some point, you leave West Virginia, you go like many people did, and you go to the inner city of Chicago to find work. 
But you didn't leave everything behind. You brought with you some of that stuff. Describe your uh, early adult life up to the time that you and mom were married and have kids. Okay. Well, a after we got back in the house, my older brother, who like I said, was three years older than myself, he, as soon as he got old enough, went into service. And I felt a responsibility for all of my younger brothers and brothers and sisters, you know, to look out for them. And I couldn't do that. I mean, I, I, I had no means. You're a so kid yourself. Exactly. And I, I got into the drinking, uh, loved to gamble, uh, and just doing stuff I shouldn't have done. But there was no work in West Virginia unless you wanted to be a coal miner. And I, I was afraid to go into the ground. So I was kind of <laughs> stuck. So be a bad I, job for you then. Yeah, really. <laughs> So you got the stature for it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank, thank you for the I change. think that's why we were made this way. <laughs> yeah, so, I think. So we were born to be coal miners. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. But just as, as somewhere around 15 years old, I met the most fantastic woman in the world sitting right up there. That's been my stay. I mean, that's, that, that was my strength. But we, uh, I left and went to Chicago. We, and she had went to Chicago, and we ended up getting married in Chicago. And we lived like most everybody we knew. We drank on the weekend. We would go out on Saturday night, stay all night, recuperate, or on Friday night, recuperate on Saturday, go out Saturday night, recuperate on Sunday, go to work on Monday. And if we didn't want to work, I would call her or she'd call me and say, let's go home, and that's what we would do. You know, I, I used to teach high school, you know that. And for a lot of folks hearing you describe that, that sounds like the ideal life. <laughs> party Friday, sleep in on Sunday, party, or Saturday, sleep, party Saturday night, sleep in on Sunday, get ready for work. But that was anything but the perfect life for you. Yeah, well, that's, that's what we thought you did. Everybody, all of our family that was in Chicago did that. Uh, but then we had this first little girl who changed my life. I mean, probably as much as anything in my life that changed my life. I looked at this newborn babe laying there and I thought, my God, Benny, what have you done? You brought a child into the world. You're not ready for this. I thank God again for my wife. My wife is probably the level-headed one of, all, of both of us. But, and then our second child come along. But I was miserable. I, I wasn't happy. I, I mean, I was happy with my wife and my kids. And I, I would make the statement that I have my world. And that's Randy and my four kids. And I have the key to my world, and it, the door unlocks from the inside, and I won't let anybody in I don't want in. And I became rude with people. I, I mean, if I didn't like you, I'd tell you, I don't like you. You know, I don't want to spend time with you. And, uh, Brash so I become, would be the word. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Brash, angry. And, I'm getting the picture here, yeah. And, and go, going to work every day and gambling. Couldn't wait to get to work to gamble. Bet every day on something. I bet whether or not to, it would rain tomorrow. It didn't matter. <laughs> I, I bet on everything. I played cards, and uh, the good thing is I've become a pretty good gambler. I've I didn't lose very often, and when I did, I always won more than I than I lost. But it, it, there was it, it, it was just simply a void in my life. I didn't know what it was, but I knew I wasn't happy. We but lived, you, you were living the life that you had seen. I mean, that last year of your dad's life, those were the sorts of activities you were seeing in the house, and then the years that followed that. I mean, it was alcohol and drugs and uh, s sexual sin and gambling and all kinds of activities that maybe in and of them, themselves aren't sin, but each one of those were, were little chains that began to tie you up and to bind you. And you just said a second ago that although you were doing these things, like Ben said, that might sound like a lot of fun and the kind of things that maybe you want to pursue when you're sowing your wild oats or in high school or in college, but you didn't feel like it was fun at all. I mean, you, no. you, you, you felt like you were just living the life that you had to live because those were the cards that you were dealt. I used to encourage Randy to go out with her sisters on... Friday and Saturday night, and so I could stay home. I didn't, I didn't like it. And yet you were I doing like it. And that, how many folks have you heard describe, I'm doing this thing, but when you get them alone and they're honest, they admit, 
this isn't satisfying me. It's not filling me up. It's not meeting that void. Yeah. And this, this was your existence. And how many, how many times do you, do you do something, and even in the middle of doing it, you don't even want to be doing it? I mean, you're having this conversation in your mind of, I don't even want to do this, and yet I can't stop doing it. That's the kind of bondage that sin brings, that the enemy wants to place in your life so that you won't be free in the way that God wants you to be. Yeah. It literally shackles around you. Yeah. You're not living the life you're called to live. You're not living the life you could. And yet it's really the only life you knew at this point. And all I wanted to do all of this time in the back of my mind was to get rid of the guy to kill the man that killed my dad. Found out later it was probably his brother, not his cousin, but his brother that killed him. And I wanted to kill him. I, I, I didn't want to waylay him. I, I wanted him to look me in the eye and I wanted to shoot, shoot his head off. You know, just, and that, that was there. I, I used to lay in bed with Randy and and I would tell her how I plotted and schemed to do this, and uh, it 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 at me. It, it it just constantly eat at me that he he had taken my hero away. That you know my only stability in life, and it discontinued until one of my cousins, who was the same boat that I was, going out every weekend and drinking, and uh, but she got right with God. She started going to church, uh, accepted Christ as her Savior, and she changed. I mean, she was just. It was different when you went to see Gloria. She, it wasn't the same house anymore, even though her husband continued to do that. Uh, and she, she talked different. There was no profanity. And, and there seemed to be an excitement about her. And, and I guess in a sense, I didn't realize it. I guess maybe I was kind of envious of what Gloria had. You felt like maybe she was breaking out and you saw something in her that reminded you maybe a little bit about some of those early days back when it looked like people exactly. were life-giving and happy. And peaceful, and, and life was, yeah. you wanted to be involved in that kind of life. Right. So through her and some others, they invited us to church. Prior to that, you, you children, the older two anyway, started going to a church. And I told Randy, I worked on Sunday. I told her one Saturday night, I said, don't send them to church anymore if you can't go to, a, go, go to church with them. Now, I had some scriptural background. Both of my granddads were preachers. And so I, I, you know, I knew some about the Bible, and uh, but anyway, we started going to church, and kind of make a long story, not quite so long. Uh, I accepted Christ. I, I had a, we had a singing group at our church, and God spoke to me as I stood there. I was about the third row back. Let me pause before you tell that story because I think this is powerful. Uh, listen, you're getting ready to hear that moment of breakthrough when. All the work that God has been doing, a lot of it invisible, a lot of it unknown, setting in place different benchmarks and experiences. It, the Bible describes it as the work of the Holy Spirit that's drawing. While we're still ignorant, stuck, deceived in our sins, God is at work. Uh, it, like in the story of Joseph in the Old Testament, if you remember, all kinds of horrible life. And at the moment of redemption, he is reminding everybody involved, whatever it was meant for evil in my life, all this yucky stuff god meant it for good and it all came to this moment of beautiful redemption so dad is sitting in a church service uh, in part because he didn't want his kids to go and be indoctrinated not knowing what kind of weird stuff might be going on and so the family just kind of began going because of the testimony of my aunt gloria and god breaks through in a dramatic way in a way that maybe for the first time in a long time you heard him yeah T take oh. us to that moment slow down a bit and just tell that story okay uh 
I love music. I've always loved music. I like gospel music. I bluegrass is my favorite, and I know that probably turned some of you off, but blue, gospel bluegrass is... <laughs> I think it's is, somewhat in vogue right now. I yeah. a little bit. Gospel bluegrass <laughs> is my, my favorite music. And we had a, a singing group come to the church, and I went to hear them sing. And on a Friday night, I'm standing there, and they have the altar call, and people go to the altar, and I'm standing, like I said, about three rows back over on the... From this, from the front here, over on the left-hand side, and I had sat, stood there with my eyes closed, and it was like I could look through a tunnel. This gets hard, folks. Look through a tunnel, and I, I could see an outline of a figure, just a shadow. You couldn't make out who it was or whatever, and and a voice spoke to me. It said, "That's you. You know, you bragged about your world. There's nobody in your world but you. Where's your family?" And I knew those that was old enough, and and in church, my wife and particularly the old, two older ones, was at the altar praying. And th this voice continued to speak to me, saying, you're all alone. And, and it was so audible, I turned around to see who was standing behind me. There was nobody there. I'm at the third seat. There's about eight seats in, in, in the church. One person was on the last row in, in the church, and he was as lost as I was. But God spoke to me, that you're all alone. And I don't remember, I can't re I put into detail exactly, I know I stepped out into the aisle and my life changed when I made that step. It wasn't when I got to the altar and prayed, I did that. Told, I was told what to say, how to say it, and all, but my life changed when I made that step into that aisle. God, had, God was directing me and I went to that altar and I prayed and asked God to forgive me. I rose up from there a new person new person in Christ Jesus. But all the hurt, the anger, everything that went on in my life didn't go away. I still had anger. I still wanted to kill the man that killed my dad. Mm. I still hated him. I, 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 I mean, it, and I was justified in doing so. I mean, you, you know, he, I was, at this time, I was, well, this was 1975, so you can calculate back to how old I was, 32, 33, somewhere around there. And I still carried that hatred. And I wrestled with that. I wrestled with that. I, I knew I'd, I'd read God's word, and uh, I read where it says, if you don't forgive others, I won't forgive you. And I said, God, I've I got to be forgiven. But I couldn't forgive this man. All I could see was my dad laying there in a heap on our living room floor and blood coming out of the corner of his mouth. And every time I thought of it, that's the picture I saw. And yeah, you, Dad, you, you said a couple things, just going back to the story. You feel like the moment of transformation for you was when you took that very first step. It's yeah. interesting that ties in with what we do here every single week. We ask people to just take one step towards God, knowing that he's going to meet them there, and that the steps that you take towards God are the, the steps towards freedom. It, so, Greg, it's, you, it's a submission. It's when you say, all right, God, you're Lord, I'm not, and I'm going to submit to you, and you put in motion, yeah. emotionally, physically, you put in motion, movement towards right. him. And you felt an internal change the point that you gave oh, your life over to yeah. Jesus. And yet, at the same time, there's this kind of practical working it yeah, out. Yeah, right? you're still having the emotions of you know, anger and revenge. Um, and yet, you not only took the one step out of your seat to walk yeah, down the aisle, good. but you began to take other little steps to break some of the smaller chains of bondage around your life. You still were carrying this bitterness and this anger, but tell everyone about um, 
your, the, the moment you pulled out of the parking lot that night from the church. It's just one example of one of the steps you took, maybe a couple of other things of how your life changed over the next few months and years as you began to follow Jesus. I gotta, before you start talking about this, let me, let me tell you something. As a pastor, this gets me excited because many of you in this room have done this. You've committed your life to Jesus, and yet you haven't seen that like maybe you thought was going to happen. Woohoo! Everything in my life is radically different. Now, the Bible tells us your eternity is set, right? You're with God. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And yet there's this practical working out. And what Dad, I think, in some regards, stumbled upon, but you also had some good leadership around you. Yeah. You learned the practical ways that begin to break the hold of sin in this world. It's not even broken in eternity, but begin to break the hold of sin on your life. So talk a little bit about practically what that looked like. Well, as we left church that night, got into the car, and I, I smoked up till that night, and uh, Randy had, had accepted Christ before I did. And that was another testimony because her life changed. She wasn't that Careful. smart mouth. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to be careful. Easy. <laughs> That's she, my mom. She's yeah. here. <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't that smart mouth, quick to come back at you. No, you know, always, not always, most of the time, just very, very snappy, uh, giving orders, to, you know, and, and we bumped heads a lot. Uh, I usually gave in before she did, but, and I, I mean, I still got to deal with this later, I'm sure, but. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. <laughs> but when she got right with God, she changed. She smoked three times, four times, five times as much as I did. I used to fuss at her for that. I bought her cigarettes by the carton and mine by the pack, because uh, <laughs> she smoked a different brand than I did. She came home from church the night she got saved, and she said, get rid of the, she said, I got saved tonight, and I said, what do you want me to do about it? <laughs> and uh, I mean, like, I'm really happy, you know, it happened, but uh, she said, get rid of my cigarettes. I, I thought, yeah, she'll want them back. We kept them in the refrigerator. One day passed, and I didn't get rid of them. Two days passed, three days passed, and she didn't smoke them. And I thought, well, that in itself is, is a miracle, so I finally got rid of the cigarettes. So, but anyway, the night that I got saved, our life changed at home. She started having devotions with the children every morning before they went to school, and at night she would have... I, I, I got to stop you. This is the pastor of me. Just get, humor me. So this transformation happens, and long before she understands the impact that having Bible reading with your kids can have, long before she sits down and sees the fruit, somebody said to her, read the Bible with your kids, and she started. That's right. It, it, there is this thing that God does when you're open and receptive and you just say, God, however you lead, I'll follow. And you don't have to be convinced and nobody has to prove to you how great it's going to be just because it's God's word and it's wisdom and you're willing. God comes along with that. There's something in our culture, friends, in this world. There's a rebellion in us that says, I'll do it, but first you've got to prove to me it's good for me. I'll give, but first you've got to prove to me that it's going to be perfect for me and I'm going to get every, and I'll read my Bible, but first you've got to make sure, I've got to make sure it's going to work for me. But that's not what you guys had. That wasn't your attitude. Your attitude was, whatever we sense God wants us to do, we're going to start walking there. Yeah, and without knowing the full view of the path. I mean, I think, to summarize what you were just saying, Ben, if you're like me, what you'd like God to do is show you like 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the road how the decision of change I'm going to make today will affect my future. And if my future looks good enough, then I might be willing to do it. But if it doesn't seem to have the right kind of impact on my future, I maybe don't want to do it. But the way God works often is not like that. He doesn't shine the spotlight no. down the road and show us exactly where we're heading. He does what the Psalms talks about. He becomes a lamp unto our feet and a light into our path. 
he shows us just a little circle of light around us, the one or two steps that we might need to take. And as we take that one or two steps, the next one or two steps become clear. And it's just a journey that we go on with God through life, okay. trusting him for the outcome, knowing that it's going to be for our good and for our benefit, but maybe not ever seeing the clear picture of what it's going to be like. It really is just simple obedience. And so you guys were involved in a church with some leaders who just told you some things you could do. I mean, you didn't know for sure. Mom didn't know for sure that reading scriptures with her kids every single morning before they went to school would have a lasting impact where we would all become learners and really scholars of the Bible. And yet that's what happened. She didn't know. She was just doing what she thought Christians were supposed to do because that's what someone told her. She did simple obedience and it led to something great. So you're pulling out of the parking lot that night after you gave your heart and life to Jesus. And um, this well, we, is just kind of cute. I we think. get into the car, and I had my cigarettes up over the visor. And when we got into the car, Benny always sat behind me. He used to fuss at me for smoking. I'm going to quit sitting behind you, Dad, if you don't quit smoking. And he has been known to get up in the morning before I did and get rid of my cigarettes, <laughs> uh, which didn't sit too well. But Anyway, he said, what are you going to do with those cigarettes? I said, what do you want to do with them? He said, you're going to pull out from this spot or back out? I said, I'm going to back out. And he said, wait a minute. And he got them and put them under the back tire of the car. So when I backed out, I crushed the cigarettes. Victory. Cig- <laughs> exactly. <laughs> cigarettes, cigarettes was something I had every morning when I woke up. I had my cigarette. That's, that's about the first thing I did. And it was a bondage yeah. for you. I mean, you know, people discuss all day long, sin, not sin. Let me tell you something. God's people don't win by having discussions about sin and not sin. When you're a Christian, here's the right question. Is this wise for me? Is this God-honoring for me? And there can be some gray areas in that as God works in your life. But for you, this was bondage, and this was an act of you submitting to God's leadership in your life. Now, that attitude, that's across the board common. The attitude of submitting to the lordship of Jesus in your life will change you. And that's what was going on here, and it began to break chains. Uh, it, It was amazing. I... I, that happened on a Friday night. I went to work on Saturday morning. I worked at a food, well, M&MR's candy company, and uh, they sold cigarettes by the cash register because you couldn't carry cigarettes into the plant. And every morning, when, or every, day, every time I went by there, I got two cigarettes to smoke while I was on break or on lunch. That morning, it was a kind of a test, I guess. I, I saw my brand sitting there, and I paid for my breakfast and passed it. And it, I can't explain the feeling I felt. I thought, wow, you know, this, I, I really, I still wanted the cigarette. Even for years after that, I still wanted cigarettes. But it was, it was awesome. There was something inside of me that said, you know, you're on, you, you're going to, I knew cigarettes was bad. I didn't understand all of Christianity, but I knew cigarettes was bad. And that was just the first step of, of saying, hey, you know what, I'm doing something right. Uh, and I didn't know what, I mean, folks, I had, I, I'd like to tell you, oh, I had it all planned out. I knew how things would work out. No, I didn't. I still struggled. I, I got so upset at work, I called my wife and I said, you told me if I got saved, everything would be all right, and you lied to me. It's not all right. I'm having a miserable day today. And this went on, and, but I never quit reading God's Word. I, I, I fell in love with God's Word when I got saved, and I started, I took over the devotions, and my dad had taught me the Lord's Prayer when he was in church, and we started reciting the Lord's Prayer. We went from that to learning Scripture. Even on as the kids, as a family, I mean, as we, a family, we learn yeah. these things together. They they would we would pick out scriptures, and at night when we'd sit down to do devotions, I had a a, a sheet of paper full of, of scriptures that they memorized, and I'd say, okay, who can tell me what it says? You know, John three sixteen or whatever, and and they would argue over who was going to answer it. <laughs> yeah. 
and, and our life just began to change. I mean, my life, it, it changed so drastically, but folks, I'm going to tell you, my hatred didn't go away for this man that killed my dad. So you began changing some things you were doing in life. You gave up cigarettes. You were telling us last night that you went into work that next week and you stopped gambling. You were making—you basically didn't make candy. You just gambled all day is what it sounds like you were doing. Uh, Pretty much. You gave up gambling. You and mom stopped going out on the weekends and partying. You, you stopped doing a lot of activities, and you were sharing last night, and you just shared a, a glimpse of it when you were talking about giving up the cigarettes, and you passed that that stand there at work, and you felt this kind of freedom. With each one of those activities that you stopped doing, whether they're sin or not really isn't the point. Right. They were bondage for you. Th this isn't a sermon to say stop smoking, stop drinking, stop gambling, and you're going to be okay. This is a sermon to say that if those things are holding you in bondage, or if anything else is holding you in bondage, to consider what God wants you to do with that. And with each little thing that you stopped doing, there was this internal thing that happened that really is the most important element of the yeah. story. It's like Every time you stopped doing something that you didn't feel right about or that you felt you, you were doing for, for no good reason, you, it was just part of the, the way you had learned to live life. It was the, yeah. it was, they were the cards you were dealt. It was the way you were supposed to live, you thought. With each thing you stopped doing, there was like a chain that was broken you were sharing with us. And you began to experience true freedom. Yeah. And not only did you stop doing things, you started doing things. Mom began doing devotions, and you took those over with us. You guys started going to church all the time. I mean, every time the doors are open, you went to church. Not because you didn't have busy lives or there wasn't something else you'd rather be doing sometimes. You went because you were told, look, Christians go to church so that they can fellowship with other Christians and hear from the word of God from the pastor. And over the long run, you were told that'll make a difference in your life. So you did it because that's what you were told to do. And it began to make a difference in your life. You began to give, you were sharing with us last night. You, you did not want to give to the church when mom was giving. You were sharing that you used to argue about it. You asked her not to give. I argued she didn't. Right, right. Mm. Uh, you guys began tithing right away. If you don't know what that is, that's, you know, a biblical principle of giving 10% of, of, your, of your income towards God's work in this world. Greg, we had our first bank account after we started the church and started giving. We'd never had a bank account. We lived from Friday to Friday. And, and yet when you started giving, you saw the financial blessings increase. So you stopped doing some things. You started doing other things, and you began to experience more and more freedom and yet you still held on to this, this kind of rage and this anger. Talk about how, now years later into your walk with Christ, God is still transforming the biblical language so that it's making you into the image of Christ. And yet there's this one holdout. Um, the Bible says don't let bitterness take hold, B bitterness take root, because when it does, it produces a plant that infects a weed all areas of your life. And that's really what had happened here. But God was about to spray some, some if I can stretch the metaphor, some Roundup on the weed, right? Yeah. Talk about that a little bit. Well, every... Come close to the fall of the year, first part of October, I, would, I, got, I just get in a state of depression. I mean, it was, I, I can't say it was in my mind every day, but I wrestled with that. I mean, I, I, I would keep reading God's word. And, and again, you know, if you don't forgive, I'm not, that, that scripture just eat at me, constantly eat at me. I've got to forgive him. And I, I tried everything within myself to forgive this mm -hmm. man. On a Sunday morning at a church in Cleveland, Tennessee, I, I knelt as I usually did at the end of service and prayed same prayer. Lord, I know I need to forgive him, but I hate him. I need you to help me to forgive him. And I got up. I didn't feel any, you know, I didn't feel like, oh, God, you know, it's gone. It was still there. Shortly after that, we made a trip up to West Virginia to visit family, and uh, I ran into him in a store in town for the first time. 
And it, you're talking 25 years or better. For the first time, I didn't hate him. I didn't love him, but I didn't hate him. I was able to go up to him and hug him and say hi to him and to have a conversation with him. But I didn't hate him. As the years went on, I, I had basically no, I don't guess I ever saw him again after that. And I continued to pray and pray, and, and God helped me to be able to forgive him. Folks, I, for, I have forgiven that man for killing my dad. I don't know how God works. I don't know why God worked it out like he did. But you're free. But I'm free. Yeah. I'm free. I dreamed about him about two weeks ago. I woke up and told Randy, I said, I've got to tell you my dream. I dreamed that him and I were together, and I was begging him to accept Christ, telling him, you've got to accept Christ to make it into heaven. Uncle Bonnie, please accept Christ. And I woke up talking to him to, to accept Christ. She told me, said, well, maybe that means that it's finally clear. You've finally fully forgiven him. Folks, it's awesome. It, it is all, and I know I'm going to get you, I get choked up when I think about it. Not because of me, not because I'm somebody special. I'm not. But God is all special. And God took whatever I was willing to give him, which was nothing, and changed my life. And right here sets evidence of the change in my life. And that lady sitting up there that's dealing with cancer for the sixth time, what a, what a strength she is. God is awesome, folks. God is awesome. We can never give back to him what he's given to us. And it, I, I don't know, I mean, there is so much joy inside of me. I read God's word and I, I teach a Sunday school class and sometimes teach on a Wednesday night and I get so excited reading God's word. I, I will get into my lesson and I'll read and study and I'll holler at Randy, you've got to hear this. I may have read it, you know, 25 times, but I think you've got to hear this to share a scripture with her. This right here, this right here is what got me through it all. I got into this, and I read, I'd hear a preacher preach, and I'd make notes when he would quote a scripture and say, this is what it says, and this is what it means, and then I'd go home, search the scripture, and I started buying some helps. God is just awesome. God is awesome. We wanted you guys to hear that story because the reason Ben and I started this church in the first place is that's what we want for everyone we know. Yeah. We want you to experience that freedom if you haven't. If you, you have, we just want you to celebrate with us today. But if you haven't, we want you to experience that, especially you, you men, you dads. And Greg, we, we want more than just being free for yourself. Listen to me, man. If you're married, single, have kids, don't have kids, God has called you to make generational change. That, that's, your, that's your legacy. That's your destiny. That is your privilege. That is your responsibility. Ignoring God's word will not take you to the path of destiny and privilege. Embracing it humbly, simply, with an open and willing heart. Letting the Holy Spirit crush the rebellion. Break the chains of sin and bring freedom to your life. It will change not just you. You won't be the only one free. It will impact your kids, your grandkids, your nieces, your nephews, your wife, your daughters, your sons, for multitude generations. This is the promise God gave in the Old Testament when he said, as Pastor Nate preached, love the Lord your God. Put it all around in the normal patterns of your life so that people can see that God is first. You want to live an unleashed, unfettered, unchained life and be free? Put God first. That very area right now where he's putting on your mind. Put him first right there. 
If there's bitterness and unforgiveness in your life, beg him, ask him, come to him over and over consistently. If it takes 25 years, God, help me to forgive right there where you've wronged others. Do your best. The biblical idea is restitution. Make it right as best you can. Do all you can, the scripture says, to live at peace with God and men. And watch the chains break. Watch those patterns that were at work in your family no longer be at work in your current family. Watch your grandkids love God and have a godly heritage and be insulated from a lot of the goofiness of the world because you made a decision. The passage today is from Joshua, chapter 24. They're about to enter the promised land. And Joshua feels the weight of the moment. Destiny is on the line. Heritage is on the line. Legacy is on the line. And he stands before people and he says, you have a choice to make. You can continue to do the things that your fathers did before you and your grandfathers did before you and you can continue to live the kind of life that that has led. Or you can choose this day whom you'll serve. And then he says something that I want every man to be able to say. And then to do the practical things to live out. Not just the initial choice, but the ongoing every day. God, you're the Lord of my life today and tomorrow. God, you're the Lord of my life today. Joshua stands before the people and he says, no matter what all of you do, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then that is your call. That is your call. Your wives come along and partner with in that godly agenda. But let me just share with you a, a, a clear statistic. When a man and a wife together lead a godly life, children are 70 times more likely to continue that faith. When just a woman does, 20% chance. 20% chance. But when a man and woman join together and a man takes his place and says, I partner with this woman God has given me, and as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, the likelihood, just statistically speaking, your children will carry forth the faith, very high. But when children see inconsistency in the home, it begins to chip away at that foundation and that legacy. We don't want that for you. So I've asked Dad to pray. And uh, when he gets done, I'm going to take us into our next step. So Dad, would you um, offer a prayer for the men in the room and for the folks that love them right now? Would you do that? Well, it's kind of gracious, Heavenly Father. Thank you, Lord, that you've afforded us the privilege to even approach the throne of grace, to be able to call upon your name in prayer and to know that you're a prayer answering God. Lord, this is Father's Day. You as our Heavenly Father, of course, but Father, as we recognize the fathers here in this building this morning, God, that you'd move and minister in every life. Lord, the young father that's just starting out, God, help them to be rooted and grounded in you. Maybe they haven't made that full commitment. God, give them a desire. Lord, allow the Spirit to deal with them to where they would make that commitment and, and to change lives. God, give them wisdom and understanding as they raise their children. And Lord, to the older fathers, Lord, even some maybe that have children and grandchildren, maybe even great-grandchildren. And God, there may even have been some times in life where there's, the children are estranged from the parents and there, there needs to be a uniting of that, of that family together. Let them know that it's not too late, Lord. That you're still the God of, of today you were the, as you were the God of yesterday and you'll be the God of tomorrow. Lord, did you combine together these, these relationships and, and form a complete and wholesome family. But mostly, Lord God, that every father here would realize the importance that you are the first and foremost in any relationship. That if you're kept first, 
putting you first above everything else, going to you, Lord, with every problem and every prayer. The pitfalls will be there. There, there are, the enemy is laying traps for us. But through, if we walk with you, Lord God, you're the one who will get us through. And we commit this time into your hand. Bless every father, Lord. Pour your spirit out upon them. Move a mighty way in every life. And give them not only a great day today, but a great day for the rest of their life. And we thank you for it, Father. Amen. Amen. Would you do this? Would you say thank you to my dad? Yeah. Thank you. I can't tell you what a privilege it is to have a godly heritage like that. And I'd like to tell you that it was something I did to deserve it. Uh, but we didn't. Um, that's God's grace at work. Um, would you take out your connect card and let's take a few steps together. And then I'm going to do something uh, as I close our time in prayer um, that might stretch some of you men just a moment. Uh, for just a little bit, but I think you'll be okay. Around here we really value that beginning moment where you initially commit your life to Jesus. Where you get saved, become a Christian begin to follow him. We call it accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you'd like to do that right now, if you'll check next step A there on your commitment card, your, con your connect card, um, we'll send you some information about what that looks like and somebody in our church will be in contact with you in a non-threatening way to just talk you through what that means and we'll send you some written resources you can read. If you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, check that box as an act of your faith and basically say to him, God, I'm a sinner. I'd like you to forgive me and I'd like you to lead my life you'll do that. The Bible says that he'll make you a new creation in Christ Jesus. That all the old is gone and the new has come, the Bible says. You begin a relationship with him that will walk, he'll walk with you your entire life. Next step B, if you want to get baptized, we have baptisms on Sunday, July 1, where you go public and you say, I'm not ashamed to walk, uh, to let everybody know I'm walking with Jesus. And so if that's you, go ahead and check the box. All right, next step C. I wonder if some folks in the room would say, I want to find a meaningful way to say to my father or maybe a spiritual father, if your father has passed, you are important to me. It's a big deal to say to an imperfect father, I'm old enough to know how imperfect you are, and yet I honor you. I honor you. Not all about you, of course. You're not perfect. But I honor you. Why don't you take some time to do that in a meaningful way if you haven't already? Next step, D. I wonder if there's any men that would say, I want to step forward. This is for fathers, young men, old men, doesn't matter. I want to step forward to be made into a man of God. By step forward, I mean you're stepping forward in your relationship with God. Check that box and realize that the decision you make today has to be made virtually every day of your life. I want to be a man of God more than anything else. If you do that, we want to pray with you about it. And next step, E. I wonder if there's some ladies in the room and men in the room, children, that would say, I want to become a consistent encourager to the man God has put in my life. I tell you, the enemy is out to destroy men because when he can destroy men, he can destroy families and generational impact for evil occurs. We men, I know I need it. I need people in my life calling out God in me and encouraging me on the way. If you're willing to do that, check the box. Let us pray with you about that. And then leave here with a plan to go be an encourager. We're going to pray, but I'd like to ask something we don't typically do in the room. If while Dad was sharing his story and Greg and I were trying to flesh it out in our context, if you felt God dealing with you and you would like just in a special way today to, to declare, I, I want to be a man of legacy, a godly legacy, I'd like to pray for you. And rather than just have you bow your head, I'm wondering if you'd be bold enough to just stand where you are.
Very simply, it looks like this. You just stand up, we close our eyes, and everybody in this room prays for you. Is there any man that right now would say, I'm ready to take a step forward, or I'm ready to continue? We'd like to pray for you. Thank you, men. Thank you. Anybody else? There's something powerful about putting feet to your heart, moving forward. There's something powerful about that. This church's unique call, of all the things that God has called us to do, one thing is special. We have more men involved in making this church happen as a percentage of our population than any church I'm aware of. Any. That's unique for us. And then by standing today, you're saying, God, what you want for me is what I want for me. So I ask everybody who's not standing and those that are, bow your head. And let's ask God, by his spirit, to empower these men. Lord Jesus, God, I am so humbled today by your grace. And I'm so almost overwhelmed by the potential for generational impact represented in this room. God, there are great, great grandkids that are going to be impacted because of the decisions made here today. Now, Father, I pray that you would begin to break the chains of bondage, chains of sin, patterns of sin, choices we've made, choices made against us. God, I pray that you would begin to uproot bitterness. God, I pray that the power of the Holy Spirit would be at work in the hearts and minds and the daily activities of men here. God, some of us have hard choices to make. We have hard conversations in front of us. We have patterns to break. We have accountability to come clean with. But Father, I pray that by your Spirit, the activity we need to do to partner with your good work in our life would begin today by this decision. And God, we hold to the promise that you who have begun a good work in us will complete it in Jesus Christ, our Lord. We pray it in Jesus' name, the strong Son of God. Amen and amen.